recently in the news. Those are four uh, congressional leaders who praise a prayer and ends the prayer with a man and a woman. Now, first of all, it's not even what the word means. The word mean in a man is where we get our word, we agree with you, Lord, or so be it, right? I'm in agreement with you, God. It's just a statement of, yes, Lord, let it be. I am in agreement with you. And he put it in terms of a, a gender association with, and, and identified with unbiblical things. I was a United Methodist Church, which is an apostate church. It's apostate. They ordain homosexual ministers. They've got all this, uh, tr you know, transgenderism and things. And that's a sad thing because I believe that there are many in this world that are struggling with these issues because of the pressures of culture and need our love, acceptance, guidance to lead them to the truth, right? Because we love everyone. Amen, church? Everyone is welcome in this place. Um, for a while we had... Uh, and some homosexual couple uh, attend, and a homosexual attenders before. And after a couple Sundays, on the way out the front door, they said, Pastor, we know where the church stands and what the Bible says, but we thank you for loving us. They felt our love. They never came back to church because they were unwilling to surrender that part of their life to the Lord. But nonetheless, we love people, right? Well, the reason for this is the thing that Jesus specifically addresses in the portion of scripture that we're getting into today because he deals with the truth and a rejection of the truth that is so predominant in our culture. So turn with me to John chapter 8 as we pick up our series in verse number 31. It reads this way, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. Now, that's a very popular quote, right? We hear it in movies and culture and politics everywhere, right? In verse 33, they answered, we are offspring of Abraham. They have never been enslaved to anyone. This is quite hilarious, and we're going to get to it in a minute. Jesus must have been biting his tongue while they're talking, right? How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. There's a, uh, some really profound theological ideas here, and as is the case if you have attended Abundant Life for any length of time at all, I take time to talk about them. I don't just jump to the preachy parts, right? Okay. If you've been here for a while, you understand that. I mean, we can turn on the TV and see the preachy parts all day long. But let's, let's get into, um, last week we talked about the light, salvation. And Jesus talks about this, um, that he is the light of the world and gives us this commission to reflect his light. And this morning, I want us to look at this scripture, this portion with three words that start with P to help us focus on what Jesus is bringing 
to light for us in this passage of Scripture, in his response. The first, he's talking about freedom. Now, freedom is a marvelous thing, right? Freedom is the thing that everyone is searching for. Um, saving faith, real saving faith, is not fickle faith, but firm faith. It's a faith that believes in the truth that Jesus and we understand it produces genuine, lasting freedom. Jesus' words here of the truth and freedom go hand in hand and can't, be, and can't be separated. The first one, the progress of freedom, he talks about the principles of moving along in the idea of freedom. He says in verse 31, abide in me, right, in my word. You are truly my disciples. If you, there's the if part again. Remember, Jesus gives the equation, if you abide in me, then what? You're really my disciples. So it's a powerful statement. Living by the words of Jesus, which is the word of God, is the advancement, the growth, the progress of freedom. So living in the word of God is the progress toward real freedom. People are looking in this world to truly be free from the demons that plague their mind or the, the thoughts that plague their, their sleeping moments or the, the terrifying ideas and the fears that creep in. But we know that real freedom is only found in Jesus. And Jesus says here that my teaching, my words, are the pathway to genuine expression and feelings and understanding of what real freedom is. So being a believer and living the truth of God's word is the second part of freedom. The first part we talked about last week is believing in Jesus. He is the light of the world. But perseverance in obeying God, the obedience to Scripture, in fact, as he says, is the evidence of genuine faith. Are we catching that? The, the perseverance and obedience to Scripture is the fruit and evidence of genuine faith. The Scripture is so important for living life in Christ out loud. It is the Spirit of God, as we'll talk to in a little while, that gives us the uh, strength and the boldness and the anointing to carry out the life of freedom that God has called us to live. And, and the prescriptions are all right here. It is an introduction to Jesus, an introduction to freedom. Ephesians chapter 2 and 10, Paul, uh, verse 10, Paul addresses this. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, pastor, uh, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. Yes, we understand that. However, look at the progression of freedom and the prescription of freedom that God gives. He says, live like I've told you to live and you will experience freedom. Friends, the genuineness of a believer is shown by our ability to hold on to and to obey um, the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. We are talking about believers who are also followers of Jesus because there are a lot of believers that, that say they believe in Jesus but not following Jesus. We've talked about the difference in the two last week, but, but, but look at 2 John verse 9. It says, everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14 says this as well. For uh, we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The word of God, right? Revelation 2 verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Living life of freedom is understanding the truth of God. But the truth is 
many think in the world today that freedom is the absence of authority. Freedom is not the absence of being under authority. Young people think this, right? When we're teenagers, I know none of you have. You all never rebelled against your parents, and you were all so perfect, and you're all, you know, you never did any of that. I'm sure that you are. I'm sure that you're very good. However, <laughs> how many times have we seen this at play, right? The idea of freedom is that I just need to be free from the authority of my parents or disciplines my mom and dad tried to get in me when I was at that older teenage year. I wanted, and I wanted to get out, and I was in, you know, a mess, and I'm sure that nobody else here has ever been like that. Um, sure, that's what happens. We, we think that we want to get out of under authority, so every young man rebels, and they get angry, and they fight, and they wind up going to the military where they're under authority all the time. I mean, they're just begging for authority. And when we understand that underneath authority, those structures bring freedom. They bring a peace because there is something to follow. When we follow Christ, we have the same things available to us, the feelings and unctions of freedom. The joy that comes from a person that is truly free is set above head and shoulders from those that are in the world. Because people are under authority all the time, whether they believe it or not. Right? We are under authority in our home and our, our parents. If we rebel and we go out, we're under our own authority. Well, that's dangerous. But the truth is, freedom is not the absence of authority. Freedom requires obedience. True obedience is freedom to be creative under the protection of divinely appointed authority. Now, the primary word for authority is a, is a word called shama. It means to, to hear intelligently, to consider, and consent with contentment. In other words, to submit to God. Humble ourselves before the Lord, and he will lift us up. Part of his lifting is the expression of freedom that we feel that we're no longer bound to try to, to figure things out on our own, that we're following God. But the truth is, Freedom requires obedience. The most quoted portion of scripture here is verse 32. You will know the truth and what the truth will set you free, right? Knowing the truth brings freedom. There's a direct connection in the scripture. But Jesus isn't talking about a simple reaction to a lie. He is speaking specifically about himself being the Messiah. And he is speaking about this, the Son of God, and also the teaching that the Messiah brings. And this is important because followers of Jesus will know the divine truth and freedom from sin. This isn't the kind of truth that comes any other way. Paul said that the revelation he received was not by human wisdom or interjection, but by the word and the power of God, right? By the Spirit of God, in fact, he says. He goes on to say, it's the Holy Spirit's work that has made the boldness and the, the illumination of what I say to, to really move you people. That's the goal of everybody who makes a speech or preaches a sermon, it, that God has given information, and we want it to be revelation. And as that light bulbs come on inside of us about how God is dealing with each of us, the Holy Spirit begins to work in those moments. For the sake of the faith of God's elect. Look at what, what his letter to Titus, Paul's letter in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which, accord, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. 
for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So your faith is encouraged by God's freedom and his touch in your life. This is so important, friends, because um, our faith is believing what God says, what he teaches, reveals whatever he reveals is truth, and there is freedom in that truth. Remember Abraham? Let's take a look at how Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, summarizes Abraham's uh, the historical account here. It says in uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, um, who he had received the promise. It was in the act of offering up his only son. It was in the very act of sacrificing his son because God told him to. Um, of whom God said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He was trusting God because God had made him a promise. Friends, we have a lot of promises from God. And those promises in his word, if we follow him and we trust him, he always comes through. In verse 19, he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the, the writer here says exactly what's going on in Abraham's mind and in his heart, that even if he kills his son, God made a promise to him that through Isaac, he was going to be the father of the greatest nation in the whole world that will ever be known. Right? And this connection with Abraham, remember it, because it's important for what the Pharisees are talking to Jesus about right now. But anyway, he's, he's, he knows that no matter what happens, God says, through this kid, through my offspring, there's going to be a great nation. His, his faith was great. The main ingredient though in Abraham's faith was obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. To follow God's word is better than worship, is more significant for freedom's sake. That's what God says. Faith requires obedience. If we say we believe in Jesus, we should behave like we believe in Jesus. Amen? Oh, come on now. If we say we believe in Jesus, we should behave like we believe in Jesus. You can never go wrong with obeying God. We can't. You may not know what the consequences of your obedience will be, but God always knows what the consequences of your obedience will be, and they are always good. The consequences of your obedience are in God's hands. Obedience is awareness. Catch this. This is so important. Obedience is awareness of God's presence, willingness to be under his authority. You can never go wrong with obeying God. He is the one that has the consequences when we do that. When we are in obedience with God's word, there is freedom. Stepping outside of those boundaries is dangerous. Years ago, Pam and I went to Ocean Shores. And at Ocean Shores, they got those little scooters you can ride, right? I think they're 49cc, and <laughs> they can go up to 30 miles an hour. I mean, it's, just, it's no BMW. But anyway, so we're on these little scooters, and uh, going about as fast as a Harley does. And we're just going along, just going along. And we're on the beach, right? And we're going as fast. And she's smiling, because hers is faster than mine. And she's getting ahead of me, and she's looking back. She's looking back. Well, I see the signs on the beach. You know, there's the signs at each end that say, you can't go past this point. Stop. Big, big signs. Big signs. And she just 
smiling. And I got a picture of us both with our helmets on. She just speeds right through that. And I stop, and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And a police truck pulls onto the beach and goes into the, the zone that she's not supposed to be and pulls her over and says, you're not supposed to be here. Get back. I tease her about it. I tease her to this day about that. Because it's one of the only things that um, she's ever done wrong. So, <laughs> But it's awesome what happens when we are aware of God's presence and obedience. There's no limitation. There's no boundary to what you can do as long as it's in his will. Remember Mary being told that she would, be, uh, uh, <coughs> she would conceive and have a son. And she said, no way, I'm not married. This can't happen. I don't even know a guy. So the, <coughs> the, the reply from the angel of the Lord was amazing. He said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And it was the work of the Holy Spirit. See, when we obey God, we are declaring the presence of the Holy Spirit. Come on now. When we obey God, we are declaring the Holy Spirit is present in my life in this moment to do what God says is in his word. The Christian life is serious business, friends. It really is. Our living life, our walking around, working, going to job, uh, visiting with our family, going to the store life. Our whole life is serious business, and we can't live it apart from the work of God's Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, but the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus calls him in this moment, in these times, he is actually helping you. He is your helper. Why would the Holy Spirit need to teach us anything? <laughs> Some of us think we know everything. But we need the Holy Spirit to teach us, don't we? To be able to obey and to follow Jesus. And this is the goodness of the work of freedom and following and obedience, the truth of God. It's the advantage that people of faith have. We have, this, we have this advantage that when we follow Jesus, we can trust him with the results. We don't have to worry about what life will be like or what's going to turn on, what's going to turn up when we do our thing because when we obey, we're trusting God to take care of the rest. We have faith. We're not wa walking aimlessly through this life. The power of Abraham's obedience and the account of, of him and Isaac um, to something that seems insane, was something that seemed insane, is, is that he knew that God would provide. No matter what was going on, he knew that God would provide. Was he prepared to, to follow through? Well, yeah, he was. I mean, he's got him on the pile of wood on the altar. He's raised the knife even. And the Lord speaks to him in that moment of his obedience. Friends, in the moment of our obedience, when we think the sacrifice is going to be greatest, when it's the most difficult part, God will come through. When we obey, he never questions whether or not he should. Abraham doesn't say, okay, wait, God, obeying you is a little too hard. He doesn't complain because following God's word is too difficult. What God does, no matter how difficult it was, he does it. And I can't imagine how difficult it was. I can't imagine uh, my kids. I can't imagine my son. How, uh, I know that we don't do this, right? We don't stop at the moment in our obedience and go the other way. I'm sure that you never complain when God says for you to do something and you don't want to do it, right? I mean, this is what's happening with the apostate church in our culture. They're, they're saying ridiculous nonsense because they've rejected the truth. They've not obeyed. I'm sure that you obey, though, right? 
when God says to trust him, you leave fear behind, right? When God says to cast your care on him, you don't worry, right? When God says to honor one another above yourself, you don't act selfishly, right? When he tells us to love our enemy in obedience, you don't avoid them. When he says to be faithful in tribulation, you don't ditch him, right? When you get angry and say things you regret. When he calls you to do something, I'm sure you don't hesitate. We say, ouch, when we hear this list that Abraham obeyed because he knew God. Consider this gravity of what he is doing. The intimacy of a moment that a father loves his son hasn't changed no matter how long ago it was. Abraham loved his son. I can't imagine taking one of my boys in that, that moment and, and following the instructions of the Lord to do something that would seem unconscionable. But yet, it's not the measure of that that matters as much as the measure of Abraham's relationship that he must have had with God. Wow. Listen, friends, here's the powerful truth. And let me catch this. I think it's in the outline. God assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply what? Some of your needs if he wants to. According to all of your needs, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, right? God assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. Walking in obedience is not always easy. I, I concede. I mean, there are many times when God did not answer me the way that I thought that he should. But through the years, whenever God has said no, you know what? He's been right every single time. And when I proceeded on my own volition, it's wound up to be a terrible mess. I'm sure nobody else has done this. I'm sure you've made decisions in your life, whether it's about buying a car or getting married or big ones and little ones. And we go, God... I wish I'd have been listening to you better. He's obligated. God is by his holy character in his unfailing love that he will not violate his word to give you and I the absolute best direction for our life. God takes responsibility for those things when we obey him. He, I've also made mistakes about the things I've asked God. I'm sure nobody has done this as well. There have been times where I've prayed selfishly, you know, or I've had an enemy. God, just take them out. You know, like the prophet, call a bear out from the woods and devour them. Call fire from heaven, God, and consume them. There have been times I've asked for things when I knew they were in the opposite direction of God's will. But God is gracious, and he shows my mistakes. Sometimes he gives me what I want and shows it to be fruitless and tasteless in my mouth. Psalm 37, 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. Who are the godly? Those who follow Christ, follow God. He delights in every detail of their lives. I love the way the New Living puts that. He delights. You catching that? God delights in the details of those that are in obedience to him. That is a worshipful life, right? That is a life engaged with God. This is the, this is the truth, friends, and it is what brings freedom. When we understand that God delights in every detail of our life. This is why we obey, because we're not serving some God that's detached from us, but the only God who walks with us. This really is the goodness of freedom. 
The second part that he brings out, Jesus here, is the pretense of freedom. Look at verse number 33, John 8, 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. Now they're boasting now, catch this. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's not freedom, that's slavery. Freedom to slavery has a delusional lie to it. When we're in the middle of sin and disobedience, disobedience to those in authority, disobedience to our parents, disobedience to those that God has put in our life to guide and direct us, when we're walking in that disobedience, we're believing a lie that the enemy is whispering. He says, your way is better. Your way is better. And it puts us in a rebellious state. I mean, we've all been teenagers. Maybe I had a more interesting teenage experience than some. It's pretty quiet in here. Anyway, I'm being quite transparent. Now, let's just take a second, these words here, to digest the Pharisees' response to Jesus, because this is hilarious. He just told them, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? That will set you free. And they respond with this outlandish argument, right? We've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, we know they believe they're talking about their piety in terms of being children of Abraham, we're the sons of Abraham. We're better than everyone else. We're, and and they, they're actually saying that they're better than him. In fact, they accuse him later of something. And I'll get, that's, what, that's where they're going with this. But think about the, the, the contradiction that they're in with this. I mean, they're under Roman rule. <laughs> if they're making this statement, we're not enslaved to anyone. And they've been enslaved by Egypt, um, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Syria. And now Rome. I mean, these, that's a ridiculous statement. I mean, Jesus must have been so amused about what they're saying. Again, they're questioning his authority as God. In fact, in the next portion of Scripture, they accuse him of being a bastard son, one conceived out of wedlock, so they can feel better about their piety as sons of Abraham, to discount him somehow, but it doesn't work. Jesus has to clarify the kind of slavery that he's speaking of. And, and not physical slavery, but slavery to sin. Sin is bondage. Sin has slaves and creates slavery. Sin is an evil taskmaster that leads to death. They, they don't say it at first because they're so prideful in their heritage, but they cannot see that there are deeper issues that Jesus is dealing with. He's dealing with the heart, and he's dealing with the eternity of men, mankind which is greater than any political fight that they think that they're in. Have you considered the political climate of Jesus' day? Have you ever thought about that, even in this moment where they're making this argument? I mean, it was heightened, right? It was pretty crazy. The, they were the minority, right? I mean, the thinking was, and they're under Roman rule. They're, they're under a different authority structure. And believers in Jesus are outnumbered 100,000 to 1. In, in this climate that they're in right now, and for the next several years as Christianity blossoms, I mean, this, this becomes crazy, right? And, and here they are in this, in this political climate where, they're, where Jesus is echoing the genuine true worship of God, and he is being blasted for it. Does this sound familiar? I want to make some statements here. I'm an American but I'm first a follower of Jesus. The reason America has been so prosperous, hear this, friends, 
was because of freedom, because of the foundation of the Word of God. It was in our law. It was in the foundation of our law. It was the training instruction inspiration for the legal lawyer training for the bar exam. Blackburn's commentary was founded, the principles of law and order were founded from the Bible. Until the 50s, it was the standard for lawyers to get there to pass their bar. It, 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 those principles came from the Word of God. And the thing that's in the, in the commentary, the legal, the law, lawyer commentary, it says that um, where, you know, the Bible does not say, the, the, the interpretation for the commentary, where the Bible does not say whether we should make trade with this country or that or one, we should make up our own minds. But everything else, the rule and conduct came right from here. And the reason for the, the prosperity that America had experienced, that came as, and I say had, because we can't be $28 trillion in debt and consider that prosperous. We may think that we're better in many ways than the rest of the world, but we are not. That is a result of sin. That's a, that's a result of wrong priorities. That's a state of apostasy. When we stopped obeying God, we became slaves again. And hear this. The result of slavery is always fear. The result of slavery is always here. The reason for the tensions and anxieties and things, not just because the political pundits and the, and the news are heightening it, that's part of the irritation of the wound, but the real problem is a departure, complete 180 degree turn away from what is true and walking in obedience. As a result, indebtedness, uh, a contrariness to law in, in taking away those who enforce the law is all a product of sin. But this is the reason that Jesus wouldn't let himself as well be relegated, hear this though, friends, to a political Messiah. This is the same reason then that it is now. The same reason, the, the ultimate bondage is not political, economic enslavement, but a spiritual bondage to sin because sin lies. It says freedom is in more of this. Freedom is in more money. Freedom is in that. Freedom is in your lust fulfilled. Freedom is in ignoring the, 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 the sexual guidelines that God gives for in Scripture. The, the rule of freedoms that are being broken, when those rules are outside, there is chaos. There is iniquity there is all this mess on this big scale but Jesus is talking again in his culture they're interpreting it on a political scale but he is talking right to them specifically I am a Christian before I am an American I love this country it's a shame I see what's going the direction it's going and the different things as a result of sin. I disagree. I think the Bible disagrees with the policies that we hear the rhetoric of being screamed at us. And, and slavery always creates fear. That's why, friends, Christ has called you to freedom. He has called you to freedom from slavery. Romans 6.17 says, But thanks be to God 
that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed. Are you catching that? And having been set free from sin, you become slaves to righteousness. This is important because Jesus has said, your focus of being under authority has changed from different things to the things that I want you to have to be under authority to. And this is important because we obey what we are slaves to, right? Young people obey their whims. Uh, their parents say do this or, or when we put rules upon our kids because we know it's going to shape their character for the future. And then our kids go, I don't like that. I, I want to do this. Or, Come on now. Nobody's ever done this but me. And then we look back years later and say, boy, they were so right. I was so stupid, you know? <laughs> and there's always the good kid, which was Amy. Um, you know, she's, a, <laughs> she's perfect in every way. I think she's just perfect. Um, but we're, we're slaves to what we obey who we're slaves to. If we just want to obey ourselves, we're slaves to that limited knowledge and experience. Our parents, I have lots of experience about doing things in vehicles at a certain speed I probably shouldn't have done. And I pass that knowledge on to, on to my kids, right? In, in some way or another, I haven't told them every detail until they got to a certain age. And some of the stories are starting to come out. In fact, we were around the dinner table the other night, and we're just sitting there, and we're talking to him, and I said, remember, da, 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 we're talking about this stuff. And Jesse goes, I never heard these stories. So, well, there was a reason for that then. I know how fast you can go over Cemetery Hill up 410 and 416 and Claw, and all the tools in the back of the pickup truck come flying and hit the top of the canopy. I know that's dangerous. Now, I know what it's like to look a cow, you know, head right in the eye in my headlight at 80 miles an hour. I don't want to do that again. I know what it's like to run my motorcycle into someone who pulls out in front of me in an intersection. It's not fun. This is important, and, and, and I think in the scripture it says that we're slaves. Whoever we obey will tell us who we're slaves to. Where, the, where you spend the best of your time, the best of your money, and the best of your affections will tell you who you're a slave to. We obey our anger and fits of rage if we're slaves to our own importance. We obey our own selfishness when we're slaves to our own insecurity. We rather... Uh, we take rather than give because we're slaves to greed. We would rather be served than to serve because we're slaves to vanity. We obey infidelity and sexual impurity because we are a slave to lust. We obey irrational thinking because we're a slave to lies. We obey ourselves rather than respect our authorities that God's put in our life because we're slaves to pride. These are the pretenses of freedom. And Jesus addresses that the world believes that freedom is the escape from authority. But friends, that's the absence of real freedom. When we reject the authority of God's truth and the authorities he puts in this life for us, we throw freedom out the window. The streets are filled with the homeless, beggar, drug-addicted, impoverished young person who believed that they knew more than their parents and wanted to get away from authority and wore out their welcome at every friend's house real quick. This is how many treat God. I believe this. We reject maybe his truth. We reject his love. We reject his guidance. And we fall into the trap of slavery rather than freedom. Hear God's heart in this, friends. Don't fall into the trap. 
The big difference for the Jesus follower is that when we come into relationship with Christ, we become a different kind of servant, but not one to sin, one to obedience to Christ, a different kind of servant, serving something, someone else. Again, obedience to Christ and his word is the key to freedom. We need to understand, I think, a couple things about this kind of obedience. I need to hurry along. Number one, love is the basis for obedience. You know, what does Jesus say in John 14, 15? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. This is important because when you love God, when we love God, we obey deep from our heart. This is significant because I can obey and act it out sometimes when it's not in my heart. Like the little boy who gets correction and told to sit down. On the, and he might say, on the, in, on the outside I'm sitting down, but on the inside I'm standing up. He may not say that with his words, may not know how, but he does. I mean, I love my wife, so I'll carry out her wishes. I love God, so I'll obey God. Let me ask you in practical sense, do you keep God's will in focus for your life? When I, I look at my relationship with Pam and my wife, she does this so much better than I do because she'll notice something or something that I'll mention or say that I like or don't like or the way that my drawer was and, and she'll do everything she can to try to help to fix it, make it easier. It's like, I just, it was just a comment. I didn't, you know, but that's the way that she expresses love. She likes to know those things. She, she serves that way. I love God, so we obey God. Let me, let me make this real practical sense for us. Do you keep God's will in focus for your life? Is his word a significant factor for you every day? Are you consistently keeping his word in your ears and your eyes? If we love God and are going to do what he wants, and of course he turns up and he brings peace, he brings fulfillment and purpose. If we want God to maximize the impact of our life and give us peace, we have to completely trust him. Amen? If we live our life trusting him, we're not fretting, we're not worried, and what happens? We're able to fully obey. And there's joy in that. As a father, I understand this when my boys were little and I had a job to do. I, I had a job to nurture and to love and to show affection. And, and there were times that I failed at this and I, I regret those moments. But I poured out my love on them. And when they're little, it, it's as they get older, it gets a little harder you know, to try to figure out what their needs are. But now that love is being reciprocated as they're young men. They've, they've caught this from life, from the introduction of this from their mother and, and myself. They were very, from the time they were very small, every hug, every wrestling match in the living room floor when I would come home from work. I could not open the door coming home from work, and they weren't on me like white on rice. I mean, they tackled me. It was a body slamming, slugging. They shot me. I died gloriously in death many times. Every camping trip, every story read, all of those things, every time the grass now is mowed, every time the laundry's done, now every time they pay rent, right? It's because of love. Love is that obedience. I hear them every time I tell a story about something silly or meaningful. I see their love when they, when I, what I do for them. I ask them to obey. They do a chore. They wash my car, do things. They, they reciprocate that because they know their dad loves them. This is love. God first loved us as a loving father. Are you catching this? And as we obey, as we grow, God reciprocates big time. Obedience is a one qualification for fulfilling purpose and vision. 
This is one thing, the biggest part of, that I could wish that every young person would catch. And everyone, that's, we're growing in our faith, all of us. The one qualification for fulfilling purpose and knowing what we're going to do in life comes from obeying God. Abraham discovered this, Jehovah Jireh, right? The God who provides. Not because of his worship, but because of his obedience. He obeyed. Friends, your life is worth so much more than the world will say the sum of your parts is. Your life is eternal significance. And right now in this life, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Finally, I'll close with this, the promise of freedom. <clears throat> Look at what Jesus says in John 8, verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Now, he's not talking about you and I there, so hang on. Verse 36, in context, remember. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The concept of slavery is, is very significant. Verse 34 moves to the status of slaves. The Jews saw themselves as free sons of Abraham, um, but they were really slaves to sin. The real son in this context is Jesus himself. And Jesus says very clearly who the who who sets the he is the son who sets the slaves free. Are you catching that? He liberates those caught in the tyranny of sin. He is the good son, the one who gives strength and freedom. The power of what Jesus says is that he sets us free because he has the legal right to do so as the son of God. He has a legal authority to do that. He is the real son. And with that authority to break the condemnation in us that comes from the slavery to sin and the desires that are so damning in our lives and hurtful today, the power of what Jesus says is that he sets us free because he has a legal right to do so. He will do it to break that condemnation that comes from sin. Romans chapter 8. I want to conclude with these two texts. I love this portion of scripture. Memorize it, New King James, but I'm reading ESV, so I'll read it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made you free in the, uh, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, because the law is a performance of what we can think that we have to do, goodness to, to reach the goodness of God, right? To be as good as God. And God says, nope, it's by grace you're saved could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh slavery set their minds what? Live by the, set their minds on the things of the flesh, the wants of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the mind, the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is not is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Being in slavery to sin is hostility to God. That's why God wants us to be free because there's such a frustration in people who, who, who we harbor our sin and we hide our sin and, and we keep it there because for some reason we like that slavery. Some people actually enjoy being in bondage. 
I've seen them. It's like they, they crave because they, they, we've been in it. We've been, now we're hooked to it. And we have to keep feeding it, right? Because sin always makes a promise. Slavery always makes a promise, an illusion of freedom. Hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, the flesh. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And what are we instructed to do in Ephesians? Find out what pleases the Lord. Look at it, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, a very, is that the one? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage or the yoke of slavery. Christ has set us free at liberty. What's the point of all Jesus' teaching? How can we really take this home with us? Well, there are a number of things. For those of us in response to God's speaking in Romans, in John chapter 8 today, and in Romans chapter 8, both chapter 8, we see a great truth to challenge where we're at right now, all of us. None of us are excluded in one way or another from this illusion of freedom that comes from a life of sin. We have loved ones that have bought into the lie, right? And we have come to Christ, we experience that freedom, that joy, that peace, that power of deliverance, that changing in our thinking. God compels us to grow deeper. Remember last week you said, this is about walking in me. This is about taking advantage of the life I have to offer. So friends, let's consider this in the great balance of things that God is dealing with us in our lives. Lord, reveal to me, show me what's going on, that I can walk in your freedom. Is there an area of your life where you're not walking in the freedom of the Lord? There's contention, there's strife, there's struggle. How is your obedience going? Are you obeying what God is telling you to do? Are you living like you know? We can't believe without behaving. It translates into a walk. And this is the dangerous gospel of our day that we just have to believe and claim it. Well, we're claiming it by walking it and trusting God with it. Amen?